Are we going to call him Timothée or Timothée? I'm going to say Timothy Chalamet because I'm American. So you say whatever you want. I'll just call him Timothy Chalamet. And then she's going to throw you every time. Whatever. Today we're going to be talking about a few different things, really. Talking about Oscar nominations that are big right now. Talking about things that Tim and I have been watching as a couple. And um, we're going to review Wonka. You ready to get started? Let's get started. Let's do it. Welcome to a world of stories, sure to captivate your soul. Join us on this journey as we take you down a rabbit hole. From indie flicks to blockbusters, our love for film runs deep. Sit back, relax, grab some popcorn, let the conversation seep. Welcome to this American wife. Yeah. Where we discuss the films that come to life. Together we explore, we analyze and analyze with an Anglo-American lens. We see the truth behind the lies. Welcome to our show. It's a story to be told. Where movies and love intertwine. I forgot I had to do an intro for this. So everyone, welcome to This American Wife. I'm Amber. I'm Tim. Um, we are a couple from Wales. We are. Originally, I am from Texas. I am not from Texas. <laughs> I don't have any degrees except for nursing. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with film. <laughs> okay. Well, I have nothing to do with nursing, but I do have a degree in film. I It has always been a huge hobby of mine. Ever since I was little, I don't know, three, four, to look at actors, actresses, what they're doing. I used to pull magazines off the shelf at the store. Um, I constantly research that as a budding tween just i just genuinely loved researching their lives or what inspired them to take on a film i always thought that was incredibly fascinating i've always been fascinated with human psychology Mm. so i think that that led to my love of Film, actresses, actors. Television. Television in general. I think I've always been more interested in the people behind the camera than the people in front. Uh, I like the performances, the good performances. But uh, the more I got into film, the more I got into like how it's edited. Why did the director make certain choices? Who the producers are and how their careers developed over time. Um, so I think for me, I get deep into that. So you're going to get more into the you know, hair and the makeup and what's on the screen, I might get a little bit more into what happened behind all that and how it got to be on screen in the first place. Yeah, and actually, this is what I love about our relationship, Tim, is that I feel like because we have the two different sides, every time we talk about a movie or TV or whatever, you always bring the behind the scenes for it. Yeah. Yeah, because I get really passionate about some of these 
crazy stories about the production and stuff, yeah. And it just, yeah, and it just, like, inspires me to start talking about what I know about the actors themselves or what they were going through at the time, Mm. maybe why they chose this film. Um, It's just really fun. I just love being married to you, I guess. (laughs) Thanks. Well, I mean, this is one of the nice things about our marriage. Yeah. So, um, do you want to get started? Yeah. So, what have you been watching recently? The last few things we've been watching, different genres. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most recent we watched was Silo on Apple TV. Silo on Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. Excellent. So, it's originally based on a uh, series of novels. It's Wool, Shift, and Dust by Hugh Howey. And personally, I've only read the first one, Wool. And I've that... actually not read any of them. So I, I want to know your thoughts based on having read the first book. So when we sat down to... It's an excellent book. But when we sat down to watch Silo, I didn't know anything about it. Didn't read up anything. Didn't watch any trailers. I literally just sat down, you turned on the first episode, and it was so accurate to the book Mm. that I immediately recognized what it was. I love how that happened, because you were like, oh, I've heard the name of this show because I, what, you'd seen something on Instagram? Yeah. And then into the episode, you looked at me like, I know what this is. I've read this book. Because the... The production that they did Mm. and the intro and the whole first episode was exactly how I pictured it in my mind when I read this book. That's impressive. And that, to me, Mm. sent me over the edge with this show. I was like, oh, snap. We're in for it. (laughs) So that was based on the first episode? Did it live up to the promise of the first episode for you after that excitement of it being something you'd already read? Absolutely. I think, of course, there's differences of certain characters or the way that they portrayed them. I think I fell in love with it so much it didn't matter. Mm. The fact that almost every time when you have a TV version or a film version of a book... It's always going to differ and people always get really upset about it because they did stuff wrong. That's not how it was. But I fell so in love with the first episode because of that. It put me right back to that book that I read that I didn't care the differences, the little differences that they did have. I was like, no, I love this. We're going to, I'm going to keep watching it. (laughs) And I mean, I, I had no idea where it was going. And that's what I love. I really love when a show will do things that I can't expect. I can't predict. Uh, I like to be surprised, twists that I don't see coming. So for a lot of it, I was I was like, I know there's got to be something coming, but I don't know what. And it did keep me interested. Was, what's it, 10 episodes maybe? I think so, yeah. And it kept me going through all of those. I could have watched them faster. We spread them out over a couple of weeks. Um, but I just thought it was fantastic. Rebecca Ferguson did a fantastic job. Her character as Jules was great. Mm. Um but I will let the audience determine whether they like Silo or not. Well, as far as I know, the audience generally have loved it. Yeah. So they are bringing it back for at least another season. So I'm not surprised about that. It was such a massive hit. 
So I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes. Especially, they, they leave this first season in an interesting place. We won't spoil it. But mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. Yeah. So what about things that we've been watching together? Anything else that you it's really stood out to you? So the one that has stood out to me the most, being an American, has been Taskmaster. I am obsessed. I love Taskmaster. Ever since you showed it to me, I knew that there was an American version made, and I did watch like half an episode at one point of that one. I think a few people watched half an episode and no more. Yeah, because it just did not... Didn't work. Work. For anyone who hasn't seen it, Taskmaster, how would you describe it? Hmm. It is a ball of fun. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, it's, it's interesting in that each task, you're always curious about what the Taskmaster has written for these... I don't know, comedians, actors, whoever comes on the show. Mm. I'm always curious to see what the task is and if I myself could possibly have done that task, which is very interesting and cool. But because a lot of the times it's actors and comedians, they perform the tasks so fantastic. Like, not in the fact that they um, do them well, they just make them a fun show. Do you know what I mean? I do. I, I've loved this show for years. I've been watching it for, I think, since it started. And I think for me, it's the way that through a season, you have about, I think it's 10 episodes, and you go from maybe not knowing or caring about some of these people, or maybe knowing one of the comedians or two, and going, oh, yeah, I've seen them in a show, or I like their stand-up. And then at the end, you're like, no, no, someone else has beaten them. Not in terms of the tasks, in terms of like our affection towards them. Mm. It's sometimes the quiet person that you've never heard of that then does the tasks in such an odd or unique way. And by the end of the season, you're like, okay, I love them. So, I mean, a lot of the people have been British comedians that you maybe had never heard of before. Never. But I have since then been learning and watching. And if, if I see it, you know, we start and uh, see season series mm. oh y'all call it series we call it a series yeah uh if we start a series i do try to look them up to see what they are if they're a comedian or an actor or whatever just to kind of gauge what they are but i just i genuinely agree with you that i love what they do with it every time i have loved at least one or two of them every single time they're like endeared to us Sam from Australia. Incredible. So great. Yeah. Such a weirdo, but I loved it. (laughs) So I I know now that uh, Taskmaster has been syndicated around the world. There's a New Zealand version. There's some other language versions in other countries. Hmm. The American version flopped. But would you recommend to your fellow Americans that they watch it? I would definitely recommend to my fellow Americans to watch the British one, not the American one. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think they got it. I think that it does take a little bit of special British humor. And people know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. And the Americans don't have it. I feel bad saying that. You can say that. I couldn't. Yeah, I'm allowed to say it. (laughs) Yeah. So Taskmaster, I've loved. Fantastic. It's been great. And then as a couple, we really love having a sitcom or something short to watch together while we 
breakfast or lunch. So we've worked our way through so many since we've been married. Uh, you introduced me to Superstore. We've then done the whole of Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. I've loved it. We're also um, in the middle of, well, not even really even in the middle, more like towards the beginning of Mad About You. That was my recommendation. It was, and I have loved it. So I have a particular fondness for Mad About You because there used to be a UK TV channel that had, I think there were shows mainly from ABC. Um, They did sitcoms. So all day they ran episodes of Home Improvement and 10 Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, I think it used to be called. Mm. Shows like that. But they also had Mad About You and they'd have a few episodes a day. And I loved it. I didn't really care that it was a bit of a precursor to Friends. Uh, I wasn't into Friends at the time, but now I can appreciate that link. But you'd never really heard of it before I introduced you to it. No, I had always, you know, watched Friends and Seinfeld and all of that in the early 90s. It was big at the time. And there's a couple of links. There's links to Seinfeld as well, wasn't there? Yeah. So what things have stood out to you about that era of American TV that you've enjoyed going back to it? Well, the fashion, for one of it, I think, um, is it Helen Hunt? Who is it? It is Helen Hunt. It is. So, her hair was like the dream in the 90s for a blonde. Before Rachel from Friends. Before Rachel from Friends had her famous Rachel haircut that she, fun fact, Jennifer Aniston hated. Couldn't stand that haircut on her own. But it became such an iconic 90s thing. Anyways... I think that Helen Hunt brought the 90s roller curls back. And I, now watching it, that the 90s are coming back in fashion nowadays, like all over Instagram and TikTok and all of that. It's nice to kind of be immersed in it and think, wow, I love the way that these characters are being dressed and doing their hair and their makeup. It's, um, I really like it. I don't know. <laughs> But more than just that, I, I appreciate watching it as a newly married couple. Yeah, because for anyone who hasn't seen it, the premise is essentially the starts off in the first year of a new marriage. And we get a little bit of how they met, a little bit of how they got together, dated and got married. But it starts off near, the, near with their first anniversary, seeing how they are managing with in-laws and all kinds of changes. So we're in exactly the same position in our first year of marriage. Do you think that we've come far since the 90s? I I laugh, but we haven't. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's um, a lot of the same interesting little tidbits in their marriage. I think it's so accurate Mm. Almost to the point of, if you're watching it episode after episode, kind of binging it, it gets boring because it's like, this is literally just watching our lives unfold. <laughs> and I've already lived it, so I don't need to watch five episodes in, the, in one sitting. So sometimes it does, it's hard for me to sit and watch 10 of them, but I have loved it. I think it is so accurate. They did such a great job. Their chemistry is amazing. Fantastic chemistry. And they know exactly the feeling behind this because they have such a love for each other. You can see it. 
you can see the love that they have, even though they bicker and they argue and they, whatever, at the end of every episode. Yeah. Spoiler alert, they're still together. <laughs> I mean, who knows what happens later. But for me, it's been amazing watching it now as a 30-something married man. Married to an American? A strong <laughs> American woman? Because I watched it first as a 16-year-old teenage boy. And I didn't care about the the marriage aspect of the storyline. I found it funny. I like Paul. He's a director. That's mm. hilarious. I, I liked the filmmaking aspects of it. When he went into the studio, he edited um, there are episodes where he makes films with Jamie as well. And I that always appealed to me. I like the New York of it. I'd never been to New York at that point. I have now. I still like New York. So for me, it worked really well when I was younger because it was that other side of the Atlantic that I'd never really experienced. Mm. I've now experienced the place a little bit. And now, weirdly, I'm living the life. <laughs> yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. I think I'm enjoying it much more now as an adult than I did as a teenager. And I loved it as a teenager so much so I imported the DVDs from America. <laughs> and you know what's funny is that being your wife, I see how much influence that Paul Reiser had on you as a teenager. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> so another thing that we've been enjoying. Yes, we're a married couple. We've been watching Mad About You. We are also a childless couple who has been watching Bluey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hear me out. It's a family show. Not just... That's my line. A kid's show. What appealed to you about Bluey? That made you come home and tell me we should watch Bluey. It's funny. <laughs> and in, but in an adult family sort of way, like not in a crass or rude humor kind of way that adults think are funny about some kids movies that the kids don't get. But it's more like about real life stuff. They're, they're teaching these lessons about real life things. But they've turned it a little humorous and they make it fun to watch yeah i really appreciate the fact that in a lot of cartoons the parents are kept out of the picture it's about the lives of the kids Mm. or they make fun of the parents or the parents are hardly there you know they'll come in for little bits bluey the parents are really present the parents are really invested in the kids lives and they're empathetic as well and I just, I endear not just to Bluey and Bingo, but I like the parents more and more. Mm. I don't think we've had as much of the mom as we have of the dad, but I could do with a lot more Bluey. I really appreciate the parents' roles in Bluey in that I know we haven't seen much of the mom in the first couple of seasons, but I think it's because... They're kind of reversing the roles of how they used to be. The dad's at home more playing with the kids than the mom. She is... I I love the way that they portray the mom, too. In a lot of the episodes, they are letting her have alone time. Letting her um, go work out if she wants to go work out. The dad lets her do that. The kids are seeing that that's okay. 
And I think that's important for, you know, families today. Definitely. It's a really beautiful show and I would really heartily recommend it to anyone. I think most parents with kids are already watching it. But for any that aren't, that's my number one recommendation, I think. Yeah, agreed. Because it you we have fun with it even though we don't have kids. So much fun with it. And little idea that maybe I shouldn't suggest is you can play a bluey drinking game. Which, <laughs> you know, I'm not necessarily endorsing lots of drinking, but a little drinking is fun. And bluey episodes are nine, epi- uh, nine minutes long. So one little glass of whiskey, sip it every time they say bluey. You're probably going to finish your whiskey within a couple of episodes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so let's get into talking a little bit about the Oscar nominations, which were announced last week. Because we've seen a few of the films on the list. And we're trying to work our way through a few more. But already, I think the race is shaping up interestingly. And our personal feelings on it are shaping up even more. That's very true. So let's discuss the Best Picture nominees, and then that way we'll talk about all the films that have multiple nominations, and we'll go from there. So first on the list, one that we saw together months ago, uh, kind of remember a fair bit of it, Oppenheimer. Oh yeah, it was excellent. I loved it. I do think not everyone would love it. Why? Well, first off, it's three hours, isn't it? It's about three hours long, yeah. So that, I think, sometimes puts people off. Um, In the generalized world, it can be seen as a quote-unquote boring movie. I did not personally feel that way at all. I don't think so either, but I get that a lot of people don't like a slower-paced, ponderous film about science being done. So That was so eloquently put. Thank you, my love. I love you. You do? (laughs) But do you think it's got a chance to win Best Picture? I definitely think it has a chance. I think Christopher Nolan did a great job with this film. Yeah, And I mean, that's why he's got the nomination for Best Director. I think this has got to be his year. He's been nominated a couple of times before. I'm shocked still that he didn't win for Inception. But if he doesn't win this year, is he ever going to win that Oscar? I don't know. It just seems like this has got to be his time. Yeah, I thought even though the movie is three hours and slow paced, the pacing to me was perfect. And that's helped, I think, a little by the way it cuts between different times, uh, going back and forth a little. That maybe helped them to pace it. But did you find that distracting or did it help you when you saw the film? No, I think it was great. I think uh, it was almost like the pacing was as soon as we were kind of done hearing about this situation they would cut and go to another time and it was exactly the right moment where i was like okay yeah i was done learning about that let's go to the other yeah and that cutting i think also helps them to get around the slow bits where nothing happened for a few months or building the town in which they did the experiments Mm. we can just say oh we're gonna build a town cut to the later era and then cut back so i think it was excellently done yeah. Uh, did it also get a nomination for editing? I think it did. And sound, I think. Oh, yes. There's a nomination for editing. So that's very deserved. And best original... No, best adapted screenplay for it. So it, I think it's going to win a fair few. It's nominated for 13 Oscars, which is incredible. Wow. 
it's going to walk away with, I think, at least half of those. Great. I would say well-deserved, because Christopher Nolan is a fantastic director. I've loved almost every film I've ever seen by him. I think I've liked all of his films. So, yeah. I said almost, because I haven't seen all of them. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe that's one of the things we're going to put on our list of things yeah. to watch. Okay, well, let's skip next to Barbie. and Oh, I have so many feelings about Barbie. Go for it. <laughs> I personally loved it. How many times have you seen it? Four or five times. I absolutely love it. And I know that a lot of people out there agree that I'm really sad and kind of upset that Greta Gerwig did not get an Oscar for, I mean, uh, a nomination for Best Director and Margot Robbie was not in for Best Actress. That was upsetting. I read an article and watched a little bit of the Today Show on Michelle Yeoh's thoughts on that. That sometimes that is just how it happens due to voting. Yeah. Due to the way it happens. And Michelle Yeoh, she won last year's Best Actress she did. Oscar. So she kind of had some good thoughts on that, that. It took her a long time to get there. She's been a a fantastic actress in so many films. For decades. For decades. It took her forever to win an Oscar. So I do appreciate that. Okay, I get it. Not everybody can win on their first try. But for a first try, this was amazing. (laughs) And I I think it's not going to be... It's not the first time she would have been in the running for a nomination. She's been nominated before. I think there's more films she's going to get nominated for. So... This wasn't it for her, but also looking at the list of actresses in a leading role, we haven't seen all of the ones on that list yet, but it seems like a really stacked list. I don't know that there's anyone on that list with a performance that's not as good as Margot Robbie's. So at the moment, I couldn't say whether someone should have been off that list in place of her, but it's true. She was fantastic in Barbie. She leads the film. She's obviously the lead title character. It is amazing that she didn't get nominated, but Ryan Gosling did for actor in a supporting role. What are your thoughts on him winning that? I loved Ken. So I, I'm, in your terms, gutted that they did that. But... If anyone from that movie was going to get it, I love that it was him because he did a fantastic job with being Ken. He had a, such a great character arc also. Which he steals was... the show, really. He steals most scenes he's in. And I think he does steal the film. Agreed. And that, I think, is sad for, you know, the film is called Barbie and yet Ken won everything because he, you know. Because he's a man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to get to, you know, what's the term? I mean, I don't know that it's really a game of gender politics here because they're obviously completely different categories. So Margot Robbie was never going to be up against Ryan Gosling. They're not competing against each other. But it, it is definitely true that for Ryan Gosling to get nominated, we thought he would. Um, and I, I'm actually happy to see it. He worked really hard. Yeah, I think so, too. You could tell he worked really hard on his body. (laughs) I mean, that wasn't what I noticed. 
The other person who got nominated for acting Oscar, America Ferrera. That was a little bit surprising, but also we did have a conversation about it on the way out the cinema after seeing the film where we thought this might happen. I'll tell you exactly why I think America Ferrera got this actress in a supporting role. Mm-hmm. The way she delivered that monologue yeah. was beautiful. So this is the monologue about how hard it is to be a woman and that if all these uh, expectations are put on a doll of a woman, then how much more so it is difficult to actually be a woman. And she nailed it. Oh, it's she beautiful. Got, she got every category just about of women going through this. Mm-hmm. And I identified, the first time I watched this film, I identified so hard with that. So that, I think that writing was ugh, beautiful on that. Scene in particular. And the writing has been nominated. Now, fascinating how this has happened. Because Barbie is not nominated to be Best Original Screenplay. It's nominated as an Adapted Screenplay. Somehow the Academy have decided that because the Barbie dolls exist, that somehow that brings with it the character and that the story is somewhat already formed. Now, almost every other nominating body for every other awards has put it as an original screenplay because I would never say with Barbie dolls. Now, I never had any, but my little sister did. She loved them. Uh, There were stories in our family of her talking in her sleep about wanting more Barbie dolls. Mm -hmm. So I never remembered Barbie dolls coming with a story. They have a little bit of a character that this is Dr. Barbie or Vet Barbie, but there's no inherent story with a Barbie. So I'm really fascinated as to how they've categorize this as adapted because they're not really adapting a story or the character they're just adapting the toy what do you think hmm. yeah i'm not sure i i think some barbies kind of because they have a job mm-hmm. of, of a certain kind it does mean that it does create half a story there for you it's not like you came up with the idea that they're a doctor all on their own they went to nursing school and they went on to get their phd it's that they came as Dr. Barbie, so you know this Barbie is a doctor. Maybe that's why. I really don't know. Mm. I loved Barbies growing up, and I loved being able to see every Barbie I ever had on that film. Yeah. I can remember the ads for certain Barbies that were then mentioned later, so that made me chuckle too. Now, interestingly, maybe it gives it a better chance of winning. Because in original screenplay, there are some very interesting, strong original screenplays. So maybe Barbie wouldn't have had a chance up against them. I also don't think it has a chance in adapted screenplay against Oppenheimer. But who knows? Again, we haven't seen all of these, so maybe there's something else that could win. But it's a a bit of a shame that the work in the screenplay that was so good hasn't really got a good chance of winning this year. Yeah, I agree. But Barbie will forever be remembered. Like, it will now be a family film people get to watch from now on, I think. And that that really is a big win. Can I talk about one last thing before we move on from Barbie? Please do. I am so upset that it did not get nominated for hair and makeup. Uh, Yeah. That was a bit surprising. Because, and I quote, 
from an article I read on birdie.com by Bella Cacciatore. Her transformation, Barbie's, you know, stereotypical Barbie. Yeah. She had 18 different changes of outfits in that whole movie. She had a specifically designed wig for each of those outfits, as well as added hair pieces. So in total, 48 wigs. She had 30 lipsticks that were mixed in different shades to be able to match the tone and the color of not only the outfit, but her scene, the color in the scene, the color in her face at the time, the way that they did her makeup. They had to match it all perfectly because she was stereotypical Barbie. So they had to match the hair, the makeup, all of it. And it was just such a painstaking process. I loved watching the behind the scenes on that because you just saw how hard they worked. And so that to me, if it doesn't win anything else, it should have absolutely won for makeup and hairstyling, but it didn't even get nominated. So, I mean, the ones that were nominated are things like Maestro, Poor Things, Golda, Oppenheimer, and Society of the Snow. I mean, I didn't think that the makeup and hairstyling of Oppenheimer was anything spectacular. Uh, Maybe a few people were made to be aged or to look like uh, real-life characters, but... I think Robert Downey Jr. had some really good makeup on his face. Okay. But again, like, aging... I know aging a lot of the times does get it nominated. Oh, multiple times. Noses and aging. (laughs) Maestro might be nominated for the nose alone. Which I can respect and I appreciate. But to me, when you have such curated looks for every different scene that you're in, I'm sorry, that deserves credit. Definitely. Now, it is nominated for costume design, so that might have a chance because they were making costumes that were meant to look like these, well, the costumes you bought with a Barbie. And they did an incredible job of that. So maybe it's got a chance in there. But you're right. It is strange that a film with so much makeup and hairstyling for so many characters, especially Barbie herself, uh, it didn't get nominated. I am surprised by that one too. Now, the other one that we've seen on this list of Best Picture nominees is Past Lives, which we watched on a plane across the Atlantic. What were your thoughts on that? Because that was my recommendation to us to watch. What did you think? Past Lives was a beautiful film. I think they did a great job with it. It, for me personally, and my story, hurt. Mm. It hit me right in the deep gut of my stomach, even with me and you. And that hurt on another level. I don't think any other film has ever made me hurt. So, to me, I loved Past Lives. I don't know that you know it's going to win anything huge it might but yeah i don't know that it's going to win anything huge either but i did like it it just took me a few days to like process it because it how do i explain this i think the beauty in that movie was in the silence no spoilers but at the end there's a whole scene at the end where there's 
just silence. And that spoke so much louder than any writing could have ever done. Yeah, there's a real amount of restraint in that film that I think it's sometimes the things that weren't said. The sentences that were cut off or someone started to say something and realized, I don't know how to explain it, but we're filling in the gaps. It was interesting to see um, a bit of dating going on via Skype because a lot of our relationship took place via Zoom. Mm -hmm. We understood what it was like to be dating in completely different time zones on other sides of the world, knowing that there's nothing you want more than to be able to say, I'll be there tomorrow, but you know that there is no way that you can be there tomorrow. Mm. So I felt for the characters. Now, thankfully... It, things worked out for us. Uh, we were able to be together without so much of a wait. For them, again, no spoilers, but that time apart was much more difficult. But do you think that it's a love story for our time, or is it going to become a love story for the ages that people will watch again in 10, 20, 30 years, and it still resonate? Mm, that is a fantastic question, my love. I don't know, to be honest. I I don't know that I could watch that movie again because it hurt. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you wanted me to say to that. What do you want to? What do you want me to say to that? I don't know. I just wanted your thoughts on it. I think because they did bring in the technology aspect of dating, I think that will definitely be carried on for ages, and that would be helpful. I think it's helpful to see because that's fairly new. That's a fairly Last 20 new, years, maybe. Yeah, kind of dating. So I do appreciate the fact that they're shedding some light on that and showing people how it really is. Because a lot of it was very accurate, I felt. I felt that that bit of it really hit home for us. Yeah, that it was very well depicted. Yeah. I think also maybe the timeless aspect of love's lost. The, you know, idea of what about the chances you never took or the people that other things pulled you away from. That's kind of a really sad, melancholy aspect to that film. Um, but I, I tell you what I really loved as well, which I think the writing showed in an amazing way, is normally in a film like this, we are poised to root for two main characters. And we're, especially the people we meet first, and we want to see them get together when they bring in um, a love rival, uh, someone maybe the person's gone and got married to, or we meet characters and we're like, they're meant to be together. And then you find out they're already in a relationship. The other person is always portrayed uh, as despicable. They're the worst. They're, you know, her husband beats her and he's horrible and all those things. So we're meant to want them to break up. We're meant to want him to be out of the picture. We want him to cheat so she'll leave him. But in this film, they did not do that. They do show that there are maybe some strains in that marriage. Maybe they didn't get together the way that they would have wanted. That maybe even for them it wasn't ideal. 
but at no point do they say it is clear what side we should pick it is clear what decision characters should make and that kept it interesting all the way through it meant that no matter what the writers decided would be the resolution we could back it and i think that was a really brave choice in the writing but also one that was so refreshing because you never see that Mm. that i definitely agree with that um was it nominated for writing? It is, yeah. Nominated for Best uh, Original Screenplay. Oh, nice. And the writer, director, has said that some of this is based on their life experience. Whether they've had to go through all of that, I've, I've not actually read fully. But, wow. It's nice to see that depicted in such a nice way. Are there any other nominations that you found interesting on the list? The thing I found most interesting was... Indiana Jones for original score. And it surprised both of us, I think, so much that we needed to watch it. Yeah. Because I wasn't too fussed about watching it. I knew it was going to be a Indiana Jones film. And yeah, of course, I would get around to it at some point. But when I saw that it was nominated for original score, I thought, okay, I've got to... This is random. This is like the only thing it's nominated for. What? Let, let me see what's going on here. But I think what's going on there is that the original score was by John Williams. And we love John Williams. Everyone loves John Williams. But do we think that there's a chance that the Academy, those who were nominating it in the uh, composers section, do you think that they just saw this is the one by John Williams and we want to nominate him again? Possibly. I did appreciate this Indiana Jones movie a little bit more than I thought I would. But... I did feel that the score might have been the only thing keeping this film going. <laughs> so I picked that up a lot as well. I didn't think the score was that original. But the reason it didn't feel that original is it makes heavy use of the original Indiana Jones theme. So dun, 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 is played every time an action scene starts up. Someone gets in a car, starts the engine, and it plays that theme to tell us, right, we're expecting some Indiana Jones action. Get excited. Are we meant to get excited just on the merits of that score? Just on the merits of it being an Indiana Jones film? It felt a little bit like we were. Very few of the action scenes worked for me. I think maybe one made me feel a little bit of a, a rush. But, I mean, there are so much better action scenes this year. Just look to the, the sound or the visual effects nominees. Things like Mission Impossible or uh, the creator, or even Godzilla Minus One. Those films have got much better action scenes than the ones in Indiana Jones, but the score throughout kind of had to hold it together, I think. I agree. So what was it you liked about the film? Because there was something that stood out to you that I would never have thought of. So there was a couple of things. First of all, I do love that Indiana Jones, from the last one that everyone hated, to this one, they brought back the classic indie feel. It wasn't all aliens and weird stuff. Something I did appreciate, without too many spoilers. The MacGuffin of the film. <laughs> I love that. Um, was the theory behind the Antikythera. Now, this is something that made me, oh, I was almost a little bummed because 
I had done a ton of research behind the theories of the Antikythera device. It's a Greek mythological device that could possibly, you know, transport you in time. And I was writing a book that I never finished. But I did so much research on this and I had so many ideas of how to use it. And I just never finished the book, so I never got to use that. But I, it was so interesting to see how they used this device. And I thought they did a really good job of having an original idea of how to spin this uh, idea behind the Antikythera. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it is definitely a MacGuffin. It's a, a MacGuffin is an object or a device in a film to just move the plot along. But it was used in an interesting way because this is a, an archaeological character. He likes things from history. And so the Antikythera being this ancient relic, that felt a lot more Indiana Jones than something from outer space. So I, I appreciated that too, that this at least goes back to history rather than looking to outer space for the story. So I think that was a really good choice on their part. It wasn't something I'd actually heard of before. Um, and I, I, you're right. I liked what they did with it. Again, they're going bigger than ever before. There's some broad strokes. Do you think this is the last we're going to see of in Indiana Jones? I think so. Indy's pretty old. <laughs> he was looking particularly old in some scenes. Yeah, which is sad, actually, for those of us who have followed the whole story of Indiana Jones from back in the day when he was a young, hot thing. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> to now seeing him quite aged. And, uh, yeah, that, that was hard to see. And I do hope they stop it here. Because if any, I'm glad that this would be the last one rather than the last one be the last one. Yeah. So you think Crystal... Of, crystal. So you think Kingdom of a Crystal Skull would have been an awful place to stop it. So the fact that making a fourth, they could have made it worse, but you think they've actually made it a little bit better by doing this fourth film. Yes. Fair that, enough. That's my personal opinion. Thanks. So now we've talked about the Oscars and what we've been watching. Let's get into our review of Wonka. Here we go, Mama. Every good thing in our world started with a dream. Of your when you do share chocolate with the world. Imagination. I'll be right there beside you. So, I made quite a few notes to be honest, on Wonka. And I would love to discuss them with you. That's why we're here. This is what our podcast is about. <laughs> Great. I'm glad. Did I get it right? <laughs> so, Wonka. I loved it. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. And I'll tell you why. Because I knew it was getting good reviews... I actually didn't watch tr the trailer for it because trailers, to be honest, nowadays reveal too much and I don't like that. And so I just generally try to stay away from trailers unless they're teasers. Um, so, but I did know that it was getting good reviews. 
across the board. All the families loved it. So the original Gene Wilder one was so special and near and dear to my heart that I was a little worried that they were going to just stomp all over that. And I did not like that idea. So I kind of went in with surprisingly low expectations because I hadn't seen the trailer and I didn't want it to stomp all over the old one because I love Gene Wilder. So I haven't got the same uh, childhood fondness for the Willy Wonka film as you have. But I have a real fondness for the stories, the Moldau stories. That's something that we would read as a family. Uh, we'd have as our book before bed. So I really like these characters that he wrote. Um, so I was kind of looking forward to seeing how they did this. But at first, when they said they're doing a, a Wonka film, I was like, well, we've had this before. We've had the Gene Wilder one. We've had the Johnny Depp one, which I did appreciate. But I, I was worried until I saw the director. So it's Paul King, the director of Paddington and Paddington 2. I don't know him from many other films, but those two films alone made me think, okay, this guy has done brilliant things before with beloved characters. I'm confident he could do it again. So you've only seen the first Paddington film, but how did you feel about the way he directed this film? Yeah, I was... We've discussed this a little bit that Paddington being a UK character um, in that movie, everyone here, oh my goodness, they love Paddington. You cannot say a bad thing about Paddington here. And I don't. I loved Paddington, but I don't necessarily, maybe it's because I'm an American, it didn't necessarily hit as hard as a cozy, anytime I want to curl up and be cozy in front of the television, I put Paddington on. It didn't hit that hard for me. I loved it. I thought it was super cute. I think, in my personal humble opinion, <laughs> I liked Wonka better than Paddington. Now, I haven't seen a second Paddington. And Which I think we need to move to the top of our list. Yes. But um, I thought Paul King did a great job because I loved Wonka. Fantastic. Um, I did love that this Wonka was its own thing. I thought it shone so brightly in doing that. So in what way do you think it's his own thing? What did it do that set it apart? So I thought it did a great job of kind of blending the two worlds together of the Gene Wilder whimsy and dreaminess with the weirdness of the Johnny Depp Tim Burton one. I thought it did a beautiful job of marrying those two together and making it its own special new Wonka story. The other thing I think that helped make it do that was Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> it was his acting ability, to be he, honest. He was inspired casting. Apparently Paul King said that there were a few people considered for the role uh, especially as the story developed, but he knocked it down to a list of one, and that was his one. So I think we can see why. Well done, Paul King, then, because Timothy had the physical... He kind of looks like a younger Gene Wilder could have been. With the crazy hair and the emotion on his face, Yeah, it matched his feelings throughout the film. 
I thought he did a great job. Again, with the eyes, he had the Gene Wilder dreaminess in his eyes about the whole of the story. But he also was a bit lanky and awkward that brought back the love of that we had of the Johnny Depp weird one. Yeah. You know? I mean, I could have done with it being a bit more weird, but I like weird. I like Tim Burton's style of weird. So maybe I was hoping for a little more of that. But I think I also have to remember that this is an early version of the character. This is Willy Wonka before the massive success that he is by the time we get to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, before Charlie comes along. So this is a younger, maybe a little bit naive, a little bit idealistic. He's he's a lot less dark. I, I always thought that Willy Wonka does have this slight hint of darkness to him. He revels in the glee of inflicting these strange punishments on naughty children. And there's none of that in this, I wouldn't I wouldn't say. He's kind of shocked when bad things happen to anyone. But this is the younger version of the character. And I kind of like the idea that we could get to that other character, the later version of him. This might be the first of two or three. And to see that character development would be a really interesting thing. Hmm. You know what? I agree with you there because uh, everyone's going to hate me for this, but sequels generally suck. (laughs) I think everyone would agree with you on that. (laughs) But I would watch the sequel of this movie because I wanted more. At the end of the film, it wrapped up The songs were catchy. It was great, fun. I would watch it again. I would watch it again and then watch a sequel because I wanted more. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that they've moved it to VOD so quickly. Um, It was released for the Christmas period and it was ideal family viewing at that time. No surprise that it was number one in the box office. How did you feel going as a family? Because we did go with your cousins who are all younger than us. How did you feel it was taking them to see this? I think that was exactly what needed to be done. It needs to be a family cinema experience. It needs to be big and loud on the screen in front of you because it just brought it more to life. And I loved that we did that. I was a little gutted that we didn't take the grandparents because they, I think they would have loved it too. Yeah. It was definitely fun that the whole family could enjoy, whether they will enjoy I think might depend on certain amounts of investment to the story and people who maybe don't want to get into that level of whimsy might not love it as much. But I don't think anyone would walk away from it not feeling like it was ideal for a family. Now, obviously, it's gone to VOD, people watching it at home. Do you think it's going to find a new life at home? Because it already found 500 million and a bit more at the cinema do you think it's going to do even better at home or do you think those people are just going to come back to it? I think that it will do great at home as well because I think this is going to be one of those movies that is becomes the new family movie that everyone wants their family to watch. Everyone's got to introduce their kids and their friends and family to this film. Uh, and I'll tell you why. It's, it's refreshing to be immersed in this story when you're watching it 
but it didn't feel like it was trying too hard to be some sort of analogy for modern social issues, if that makes sense. I love that it just let me be there in this beautiful, magical world that they created, because that's sometimes why we watch movies. When everyone has a day off of work or they're not feeling well and they stay home, they want a feel-good movie and they don't necessarily want to think about the world outside. They want to get away from it. This is a great film to do that. I think that's exactly what it did. The, the characters are the characters. The place is the place. I'm still not quite sure where the place was meant to be. Where It had a slight Parisian feel, but it was also very clearly partly shot in Oxford. But... It's definitely just trying to give us the world that Roald Dahl wrote. And I think it did that very well. It's, it, you know, it's obviously he didn't write this aspect of the story, but you can completely imagine he did. The villainous characters, as they are, are slightly weird. They are not all that evil, um, but you do enjoy watching them. You enjoy the time you spend with them. And I think that's very Roldal, that you kind of revel in their nastiness at the same time mm-hmm. as rooting for your heroes. So Paul King directed Paddington 1, Paddington 2, but he hasn't directed Paddington 3. He's left that to someone else. Now, I'm fascinated by this because he had the opportunity to direct what might have been considered a near-perfect trilogy. Everybody loves Paddington and Paddington 2. Paddington 2 is even better than the first, if he could have gone on to make a third film, that would have been an incredible feat. But he hasn't. He stepped away to make this. So do you think that that's maybe building to something bigger, that he's seen an opportunity here that he just couldn't pass up? I would agree with that. I think, even though I haven't even watched Paddington 2, because everyone loves both of those movies so much, at least here in the UK, this is big. For Paul King, who, like you said, was about to have a perfect trilogy, for him to step away and start this makes me think there might be sequels. And, to be fair, I would watch them. Maybe now it's time for us to just get into a little bit of spoilers. Talk about specifics about the film. So, if you don't want to know any plot details about Wonka, if you haven't already seen it, maybe this is the time to say goodbye. And we'll see you next time. But for anyone else, hold on for spoilers of Wonka. Got spoilers. Now brace yourself, here it goes. There once was a man named Norman Bates. Turned out he was his mama. Oh, what a great twist. Don't get me started on Tyler Durden Split. But that Bruce Willis was a ghost all along. Who would have guessed it? Okay, so Wonka ends in a very interesting place that makes you think that there is more coming. What did you think about the way they wrapped up this story? I think they left it pretty open-ended, to be honest. It's a perfect end if that's where they wanted to end the movie. It's also a perfect segue into a sequel because they ended it with him buying this factory and clearly he's going to turn it into a candy slash chocolate factory. Yeah. Maybe they didn't know how well this was going to do because there was potential that it was going to flop like some big films have. There was also potential it would 
do really well like this story always should. So maybe they've left it in such a way that if it wants to be a standalone film, fine, it can be that. But if they do want to continue it, where would you like to see them take the second film? So they ended the film on the big original song that we all know and love. That to me gears me up and makes me want a new factory. I want to watch it. I want to see it unfold. I want to see the kids come in. I want to follow this story that Timothy Chalamet has helped create. (laughs) So one of the things that we get hints of is uh, Wonka's creativity. He makes these interesting contraptions. He makes interesting chocolates. He has plans and schemes. Do we need a lot more of that in the second film? I definitely think I would like to see more of that. They did a great job with coming up with really cute, weird inventions. So throughout the film, we got to see each individual finished invention. And chocolates as well. And chocolates. And I thought that was really nice. But I wish we could have seen him physically building it some more. Or putting the thought and the work into it and seeing his, you know, mad scientist writing things down and trying to figure out how this works. So I would love if they maybe delved into that a little bit more if they make a second film. So another thing that I actually loved about this film was the original songs. Yeah. I thought they were really catchy. I thought they were memorable. They were fun. And I want more of that. It Honestly, because they had so many original catchy songs, the last song that was the original original... (laughs) The Pure Imagination. Didn't actually hit as hard for me. Okay. Because I liked all the other songs so much. They were so much fun. So you weren't listening to the songs throughout the film going, oh, these are not good enough. And then the good song comes at the end. You're like, oh, well, there's the one good song of the film. Right. I was the opposite. I loved it all. And then when the last song came, it didn't hit as hard as the first one because it was that was the only good song in the first one. Mm. So I want more of that. I want more songs to help build on that original original. Nice. And I, I can see that, that I'm very appreciative that they didn't just rework all the songs that we've heard before and say, okay, we've changed up the melody a little. We've changed out the lyrics. It was a lot of original songs, which helped to mean this does feel like an original story. It's not a retelling of the Wonka we've seen before. It's genuinely a precursor to all that. It's it's a prequel in all the ways that it should be. And I really liked that about it. I also thought that the additional characters were excellent. They're all original creations, but they stood out to me as feeling very Dalian that he could have written them. Um, the other chocolatiers, that's classic Dal, that there would be three chocolatiers then working together as an evil cabal. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's the classics of, you know, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and you've got the farmers that he goes up against. It's exactly that blueprint. So that was brilliant writing. You've got Keegan-Michael Key in a fantastic turn as this police officer who is corrupt but who changes quite physically throughout that's so dull the it, it's not because of some 
you know, turning into a blueberry, but he is getting bigger and bigger. And it's, it makes you think. That's what Dahl would have written. I really appreciated that. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Another thing I really appreciated throughout the film is the different world gathering that he did. He did go explore the world. We didn't get to see all the details of it, but we did see that he traveled the world and he genuinely went to all of these places and gathered these weird little things. Yeah, because when we meet him, he's coming off a ship and we don't know quite where from, but we get this idea that he's already had a life. He's seen things already. Uh, And I, I really appreciated the idea, like you say, that he had gathered these things personally. He had learned stuff. He tried stuff. I really liked that idea. But do you think that that would have been fun to see more? Or do you think just the way it was recounted was enough? I think, yeah, it would have always been fun to see a lot more of that. But I do feel like it was adequate information for what the story needed. Um, Another thing I actually wanted to talk about was... I loved the way that his character took the grief of his mother, of losing his mother, and turned it into something creative and beautiful, and remembering her in a nice way. I think that's a really important theme that wasn't touched on too hard, but... It was definitely there throughout though yeah even the the trailer that we played it shows that that was maybe a theme that they wanted to make bigger but you're right we don't walk away with it feeling that that was the main theme but that gave his motivation that made us endeared us a little bit more to him as a character and it was a positive reinforcement rather than the negative one that was used in the johnny depp one the johnny depp story goes No, his dad was a dentist, so he could never eat sweets. So he rebelled and made sweets. Whereas this one is, no, his mother showed love and put her everything into making him a bar of chocolate. And so he wants to show love and puts everything into making chocolate. Mm. That's such a better way of doing things. This positive reinforcement, these positive motivations. It, It makes for a much happier story. And one way it could definitely have a more endearing place in people's family viewing. Anything else you want to say about Wonka before we wrap up our review? I think that's it. Um, You know, it got great reviews in my book. Not that my book matters to anyone but us, but... (laughs) Matters to me. (laughs) So if they bring out another one, do you want to see it? Absolutely. And I think before then, we've got to see Paddington 2. You've got to see it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So next time on This American Wife, we will be reviewing Aquaman 2. The last film of the DCEU. Mm, Which we will also delve into into great detail. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to that because, well, spoiler alert, but I wrote my dissertation on that. So. Doesn't that make him hot? (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us on This American Wife. Thanks for joining, guys. So grab your popcorn, cozy up, and let's ignite the magic of the movies. Where love is our guiding light. So grab your popcorn, cozy up, and let's ignite.
of the movies Where love is our guiding light I think we can work with that, babe I thought we did pretty good You think? Yeah, I thought it flowed really naturally What do you think? Well, I don't know I, I think we did great You sound great Do I? You do You're so nice Thank you I love it when you, like, spout off your directory stuff. It's really hot. It picks me up astonishingly well. Okay. So, put that in your back pocket. 